you know, the volcano is so much bigger than the human that the only way that we've ever been able to understand them is through metaphors and analogy. And those almost mm. always come from the body, right? Think about it. Volcanoes have necks, toes, fingers. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I hereby declare that we, they, they can have snot anytime they want. <laughs> All right. right yeah. Who's going to tell them no, right? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to What the If, Philip Shane, documentarian. Uh, I, I, I like documentary filmmaker better. You like that better, even though documentarian is pretty punchy, though. Is it? Okay. Yeah. It seems, seems above my pay grade. Uh, something like you would have tattooed on your back, right? Whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have Albert Mazel's tattooed on my back. <laughs> <laughs> Deep cut for film lovers. Yeah. So welcome to what the if the it, it, the the game show, and Matt, uh, this is Matt Stanley. How would you describe your? What do you have tattooed on your back? Oh, um, historian of science, I think. Huh. Um, but I, I probably at one point had uh, physicist written the tattooed on my back, but Ooh. then that was crossed out and historian <laughs> of science written on top of that. Um, uh, yeah, so nowadays I write books like uh, the forthcoming Einstein's War, available for pre-order on Amazon. Fantastic. And coming out beginning of May? Uh, in about a month. Yeah. About a month. Fantastic. We're going to hear more, a little bit more about that at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, but our guest today... Yes. We have a special guest. Dr. Karen Holmberg. Uh, Karen is is just an all-around amazing person. When I have her, I had her in to be a guest lecturer in one of my classes last year. And after class, a bunch of the, a bunch of the students came up to me and whispered, I want to be Karen when I grow up. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I would like to be Karen too when I grow up. <laughs> Basically, she, she gets to travel around the world um, exploring volcanoes and caves um, and doing archaeology. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I, I, I'm actually really thrilled to be here because I learned so many things about whale snot from you guys in the <laughs> Yeah, shout out to uh, Dr. Uh, Vanessa Parada. All the way from Australia. I was very impressed. Yes. Yes, that was an excellent show. So today, though, we may learn about volcano snot. (laughs) (laughs) It's a theme. It's a theme. It's a theme on the ongoing saga of snot, which actually wouldn't be that uh, that far-fetched in that... um, you know, the volcano is so much bigger than the human that the only way that we've ever been able to understand them is through metaphors and analogy. And those almost mm. always come from the body, right? Think about it. Volcanoes have necks, toes, fingers. Oh, they're wow. Living, yeah. They're young. They get old. They die. They go extinct. You know, there's this very living, you know, quality to them. So I I hereby declare that we they, they can have snot anytime they want. <laughs> All right. right yeah. Who's going to tell them no, right? <laughs> <laughs> When you got to blow, you blow. After a volcano yep. goes off, now you can say Gesundheit. Yep, yep. There you go. We can uh, let's let's rename uh, let's rename lava. That is that is <laughs> pyroclastic spot. Ooh, ooh, that's good. So, so for our listeners, how would you? Um, wh- what is it exactly that you do? What is your profession called? I um, I tend to call myself an, an archaeologist with a volcanology fetish. 
Uh, mainly it wakes people up, um, but it, it it's sort of an homage. In this, I had to do my PhD through an anthropology department um, and through archaeology, but I considered myself just as much um, of a volcanologist, but I had to do that work um, independently. I did my PhD at Columbia and then did a tremendous amount of independent study work and remote sensing work at La Montdordier Observatory to pull all of that in. So the fetish part is... Um, you know, people have this association with Marx and commodity fetishism, where they have the the Freudian. You know, that's sort of the common usage. But it's it's such an anthropological term for any object that has a power uh, and enchantment. Uh, yeah. But for me, is the volcano this transformative power and this 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 thing that that embodies so much in in terms of destruction or change or regeneration or just the it's 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 an emblem of, of how alive the planet really is and that that i think is what's most exciting about them i must say i must say here's what's amazing is that i am used to and i'm sure most people are used to when we go when i think of volcanoes i get very excited and i have this like ah it just seems amazing it seems like the coolest thing in the world uh, but then I expect when we go to speak to a scientist that they'll be like, well, yes, and, and then they will describe to us the process. You know, it'll be a very dry or, or even-keeled approach. But I, you, you really are full of feelings for it. it it's not just me. Um, I think yeah. geoscience in general, there's such a, they're doing it out of love and passion. There's yeah. such mm-hmm. a, a sense of amazement for the planet and the fact that we're even here. Like, how, how did this happen? Because you realize what, just how unique the Earth is, and how different it has been in the past, and how different we know it's going to be in the future. And oh my God, how incredible that we're here! And if you go and you sit and have beers with a bunch of volcanologists, you're going to get that same sense of wonder. They, I, I heard in one of your earlier podcasts, you did mention the the government shutdown, and so I was, you know, on social right. media with a lot of. Uh, you know, friends from the USGS, the, the United States Geological Survey. And across the board, every single one of them, yeah, they were bummed about the shutdown. It caused a lot of research, you know, backup and, and things weren't being monitored necessarily the, as clearly or as closely as they would have been otherwise. But every single one of them was making lemonade by going out and just hiking and being on the mountains and, and uh, being being mm-hmm. with have been studying anyhow, albeit maybe in front of a computer otherwise you know it's that sense of this is this is what i'm here for yeah you can't shut the volcano down you cannot shut the volcano <laughs> <laughs> uh, people right yeah geoengineering uh, schemes have have been attempted repeatedly and that's you know that and that's something that i like to play with as well and i get more of a chance to do that coming through the uh, the social science or the the soft and squishy science side mm-hmm. than I would barely through the hard science or the mm-hmm. geoscience side. And there's a lot of fun interplay there, uh, particularly when you look at, do you know about mud volcanoes? No, what's that? Yeah. So you've got igneous volcanoes, which is what you generally think of, and you get a cartoon image of dinosaurs and the meteorite, you know, coming down, meteor coming down to, to kill everyone at the... <laughs> Extinction <laughs> point. And, um, there are there are other types of volcanoes. There are cryovolcanoes, which are ice volcanoes on other planets, and those <clears> are <throat> yeah. So, rather than shooting off, you know, igneous materials like lava, there, you know, there's there's methane and things like that coming out. But there's a mud volcano in particular that uh, really captures my imagina- imagination, named Lucy, L-U-S-I, the Sidarjo mud flow, and it 
started erupting in 2006 in East Java, and it swallowed up a number of villages, displaced thousands and thousands of people, and it was estimated to probably be something that was going to erupt for the next 30 years. And it was by mm, a lot of people's scientific estimation completely created by us from hydrofracking. Oh, so the, ah, okay. Yeah, so you know the mining company, of course, says no, 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 no. There was this earthquake in Jogjakarta that then triggered off these other changes, but yeah, uh, there's a strong, strong, strong amount of data to to support that the hydrofracking created this completely artificial, in a sense, volcano. So, Karen, you said the name of the volcano was Lucy. Do you feel like you're on a first-name basis with volcanoes? Uh, I definitely do, and I think a lot of people do. And you'll find that most of them not only have names, but stories and personalities. Um, there's a, a real mix between whether they're they're considered female or male. Um, ah, okay. Because some people are like, oh, well, volcanoes are definitely male it's it's clear and it's, actually there's huge number around the world that are for very good reasons considered very very female and then you've got say uh, close to mexico city you've got popo and ishtacoatl and i didn't pronounce ishta's name let's just say popo and ishta i didn't pronounce them correctly they're very long with a lot of different you know consonants squished together sure. Uh, but they have a wonderful love story. You know, she's the she's this reclining woman. He's the the warrior. And um, actually, Popo's been doing some amazing things just recently. If you haven't seen, it's worth looking at the webcam. You know, I, I want to throw in a what the if in here. All right. We're going to get this going. Now, but, but before I do, I must tell a story Please. with a shout out to my friend Tom Fast, who was my roommate for a long time. And who uh, was in charge of uh, a student the AFS student exchange program? And you, you won't you won't believe where this story is going. So, <laughs> one summer while we were in uh, college at, at NYU, cool. he he was in charge of bringing a group of American students down to Mexico City, and then we were going to take them all around Mexico, dropping them off at their host families for the summer. So he really wanted to impress the Mexican supervisor that he would have there, the lady who was in Mexico. And so he practiced the names of those two volcanoes over and over. He was so <laughs> determined to show her that he really knew everything about Mexico. And so I learned the names too, because I was his roommate and would hear them over and over and over and over and over. And they are Popocatepetl and Ixtaxiwatl. Very nice. Mm. So he practiced that. We go down there. We, there's a banquet the, the first night we're down there, and we're sitting with the uh, senora of the head of the program. And she says, what are you going to be, you, what, will you be traveling after we finish work here? And he said, oh, yes, we are going to go visit Popocatépetl and Ixtaxiwatl. And she says, como? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And he says it again, Popocatépetl and Ixtaxiwatl. And, and he says, you, the volcanoes. And she says, we just call those Los Volcanos. <laughs> <laughs> or, as you said, Popo and Ixta. So, yeah. uh, all right. So what, what about that one in, in Iceland that went off in 2010? Go for it. Oh, I don't oh, know I that. Can't, what I is can't that? Do it. No. Well, I, you know, I, I, again, I just sort of shorthanded as Eyjafjallajökull. But, uh, yeah, wow. the people who do work there are, are 
amazing with the, the the sounds they can pronounce in the back of their throats too <laughs> <laughs> see i wouldn't have been even close to that yeah it's a yogurt volcano is what i gathered from that so what the if you held a grand party in a ballroom mm-hmm. and all the guests were volcanoes oh Take us now around the party okay. and introduce us to some of the volcanoes. Some are in relationships, like we heard about Popo and Ichta. Yeah. Others yeah. are more on their own. Some mm-hmm. have, some are mud. <laughs> I don't know how to, <laughs> let's start with that. What's the mud, what's the mud, mud volcano personality? I think grumpy, really grumpy, yeah. you know? That that mud was just minding its own business, you know, b- beneath the surface. And then, you know, someone just comes poking around. So, yeah. No, I actually think that they're going to be skulking in the corner, you know. <laughs> just oh. <laughs> So, like, hanging out by the punch bowl? Yeah. That kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sort of growling at people who try to come too close and refill their glass. Do you know who I'd really like to... Um, to to invite and make sure that they came. Um, there's a volcano named Chaiten in Patagonia, northern Patagonia in, in Chile, um, that I've been working at. Um, I'm the, the principal investigator, the lead scientist on this this National Geographic team down there. And I, I'd really like to ask it some questions once once it had a drink or two. Yeah, right. it, uh, it it went off completely unexpectedly in 2008. Nobody knew it was a volcano until it went. <laughs> Pretty impressive. Largest evacuation in Chile's history. They got everyone out in two days. Mm. And and once geologists and volcanologists started taking a closer look at the the geological, you know, stratigraphy and the evidence, it's been going off. And I love this phrase. This is this is from a, a scientific publication. Continuously yet intermittently. <laughs> <laughs> 18,000 years of activity, and yet it goes off completely out of the blue for us. Now, this rock art cave that I'm working on underneath the volcano has, from my radiocarbon data, at least 2,000 years of usage. I think that if we get brave enough to go to the back portions where there's a lot of um, rock slide, so it's a little bit more dangerous for the team, I, I think we can probably get some much farther dates. I think that once the glaciers retreated from that particular coastline, people were probably able to use it by about 6,000 AD. And they were going to this cave and they were, they were, there's a creativity there. They were marking it. Um, they were both carving into the walls and they were painting designs. Um, and then they were bringing up seafood from the coastline, roasting it over a fire and then just discarding the shells. And they were also bringing up things like sea lions, um, and pudu, do you know what a pudu is? P-U-D-U? No. It, oh, Google it. It's the smallest beer in the world. It's like, it's itty bitty, this tiny thing. And they were, yeah, they were taking it in there and throwing it in the pot as well. With it's the, the smallest, I, I dropped out with the smallest. It's, it's, it's a deer. A deer. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'd really I caution like, our viewers before they Google pudu. Just uh, sometimes Google says, didn't you mean, oh, you know, something else? Okay. Poo-poo. And yeah. <laughs> You get the smallest other thing. So smallest deer. <laughs> Just Google smallest deer. Yeah. So there and, were people. Uh, there were people there. So there were people there, and and they were also using the obsidian. It's got a very Ooh. special 
sort of obsidian, you know, each volcano produces its own, you know, has, has a different mineralogical component to its materials. And, you know, you need a pretty high silica content in, uh, to be able to have obsidian, which is volcanic glass. And this particular volcanic glass was very prized in the prehistoric time period. So people mm. were coming in on canoes, mm. but probably not settling there long term. Was it because they knew that that Chaitan was active? They would have seen eruptions going off, mm. you know, from the coastline. So I, I'd really like to ask Chai Ten what 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 he thought about all of this activity and what he thinks about this town, also called Chai Ten, that was flooded completely. And I, you know, I'm calling it he, and I'm not quite sure. I don't I don't know if anyone around the the area gives it actually a gender. Uh-huh. It, you know, Chai Ten flooded this town of Chai Ten with a lahar, which is a mud flow. And they had to leave, and they had to kind of be in limbo from 2008 until 2012. Hmm. And people started to resettle then, and the government tried to make them move to another area, you know, a few kilometers away, where they'd be safe in the future from from additional lahar flows. And they said, no, we want to be where our grandparents built our houses, you know, with their own hands. We want to be where we spent our childhood, where all of our memories are. So... uh, in the process of the government doing the survey work in this new location, that's when these caves were found. Mm. So people are now resettling back in the old location, but they know about these caves. So there's this kind of concept of pulling together that heritage of the, the rock art and the prehistoric use of these caves in this volcanic context, and then the contemporary occupation of, of that town, and they've preserved some of the houses that were destroyed. Uh, in the uh, in the lahar flow and they're just they're sort of taking charge of this and 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 seeing it not as a disaster but as a chance for regeneration you suppose the volcano is grumpy because these humans are infesting it or because Uh, we've left it alone for so long and it's no i i actually don't think that chaitan is grumpy i think that is the job of lucy at this dinner party Um, okay yeah no i think that chaitan is probably uh, do you know Loki? L O K I, the the Norse trickster. The Norse god, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think Chaitan's a bit of a Loki. I think there's a, oh. I think there's a mischief there of like, huh, gotcha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? Because. Yeah, you didn't even you didn't know what I had in me, did you? <laughs> so it's like it. spiking people's drinks at the party. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think so. But I think that there's uh, there's not. A maliciousness to that mischief in that nobody died in that evacuation, nobody died in that eruption. Uh, okay. And and so much that is is sort of unexpectedly positive is now coming. They've now got a, a literary festival. This is a very remote area. You have to fly down to Puerto Montt, so a bit of a, a flight even from Santiago, and then it's 10 hours of fjords and ferries to get to this area. Cool. And so the fact that they've got this literary festival, um, the eruption of the letters, it's called, you see these great graphics of books flying out of the volcano, huh? is held on the anniversary now um, of the eruption start. Scientists are flooding the area, and, you know, that brings, that brings you know, money for local businesses, and people are interested, you know, ecotourists are interested now. You know, it's it's taken kind of a new uh, a new chapter that's that's uh, not unhappy. So uh, yeah, I, I think Chaitan's actually got a fairly um, a fairly good personality, but a wicked sense of humor. <laughs> okay, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna tweak the scenario a bit, okay. and I'm gonna say 
Is it because I think it sounds like when you talk about how volcanologists feel towards the volcanoes and that the volcanoes have a personality, I'm very curious to think about not not so much how they feel about us, which is more in the realm of fantasy, which I love, but I'm really curious about what is it about them, their physical attributes and the way they act and all that sort of stuff. How does that translate to personality? So when you, when you think about the different volcanoes, how, how do you see them just as you looking at them rather than them looking at us? Mm. Well, I think, I think I'm, like how, how does it help your study, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's, it's the interesting thing that this sort of creates... This is what's, what I love about this, is this is the human creativity side right. of science, and how does that help your uh, research? Well, in, in the sense that in volcanology writ large, you, you cannot assume... First off, any volcano, you cannot assume that its past behavior predicts its future behavior. It's like the stock market. Yeah, just because you've quantified everything absolutely meticulously does not mean that that means that you control that volcano because you can predict what it's going to do in the future. Because it, it volcanoes do change their, their eruption patterns. They do change their behavior at the same time. It's the best thing we have at our disposal. You know, there's that, that famous poem by Mallarmé, is a, a throw of the dice does not absolve chance. Is the translation in French, and you know they they it's about a you know a, a boat a ship where where absolutely meticulous data is collected, and they still run aground, and everyone dies. <laughs> At the same time, where you're not going to collect the data, no, you have to. Um, so the, there's a qualitative component to understanding each volcano on its on its basis. Just because you know that this is a complex andesitic stratovolcano in this particular geographical, you know, context does not mean that it's going to act exactly like the complex antacidic stratovolcano nearby whatsoever. They do, they take their own time with things and they, they go about things in a different way and they can change their minds like that in the way that they, they eject their materials or hold their pressure. Um, so it, it's a matter of, of uh, I think, a, uh, well, this is the problem, actually. What, with what you're getting at, we can't really get a good idea of their personality. Because if you're at that dinner party that you've just set up, which I'd love to ask you what we're eating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I ask you, what would a volcano eat? Ah, uh, Nothing, yeah, I, think, I guess. No, I or think a rock. at the center of the table, we should have a roast phoenix, you know, the fire. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, the problem with getting to know the personality, it's like going to that dinner party and stay we are the waitress who has to or the waiter who has to go in and serve that roast phoenix and put it down on the table and then carefully back away and leave um so they don't you know disturb the party in that short bit of time all you can gauge by is what you've seen and and that's i mean what i'm getting at is that there's this huge disconnect between because that dinner party probably started at six and is going to go to like three in the morning and you've gone in there at eight o'clock. The human time versus the geological time scale is so completely different. So even though we can try and understand, uh. 
you know, and, and looking at all these materials. And that's the problem with archaeology and volcanology both. You're looking at materials that have been left behind and trying to interpret them, but those are necessarily going to be fragmentary. They're not going to be complete. Mm-hmm. Are all the guests going to be late for the party then? Because they saw 10 o'clock, um, <laughs> but to them, that's 10 o'clock plus or minus 2 million years. <laughs> oh, 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 interesting. Yeah, I, th- I actually think this should go on for at least a week this past <laughs> <laughs> Just to make sure everyone can arrive. The volcano the- ball. Yeah, oh, oh, I like it. It's going to yeah. be, uh, oh God, who was that? Uh, Truman Capote's, uh, what is that, the... His big party that he threw. This is going to blow that away. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What else do you, what, what, what else should we eat? What do you think? Uh, well, let's see. Here. So it would be hot food, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess unless we invite the cryovolcanoes. Right, right, right. They could be in charge of cocktails. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. And those, those cocktails. Spraying things are, around. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And there's going to be a lot of dry ice coming out of those cocktail glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Now, here's the thing. What do volcanoes actually, if we say they eat, for instance, they, uh, here's something I've always found fascinating, that we think of volcanoes as just the mountain. And in fact, Mm -hmm. our mind probably focuses on the crater uh, in the mouth of the volcano more than anything, or images of it blowing up. But in fact, if you think more at the, a, a wider perspective, isn't the volcano just like a little tip of the volcano burger? In other words, the whole system that leads up to it. Well, for instance, the volcanoes in the in the um, northwest, the Cascades, mm-hmm. right? So Mount St. Helens, which I've been to many times, and all, and the others are all connected, I believe. Or anyway, like it just they aren't individual things. They are actually the outlet for some gigantic maze of lava tubes underneath? Or what, what exactly is going on there? Well, and, and actually what you're touching on is a really interesting question in that it's it's under a lot of debate right now in volcanology. And there's been this massive transition in how we think of that underground plumbing in just the last 10 years. So you used to see these, these very clean and tidy cartoons of um, schematics of, you know, the the perfect triangular-shaped cone, which has, you know, kind of a tube going down to a magma reservoir, which is down below. And that magma reservoir is this big, like, kind of, you know, globular, you know, you know reservoir that then once pressure builds up enough, it explodes. And volcanologists are beginning to really query the the validity of that because there's this understanding that it's a lot more complicated than that 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 we can't see down there you know we can see we can see other planets and into space a lot more easily than we can see into the interior of our own planet and so it's 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 very difficult there's a brand new study that that just came out about blobs i think it just came out this past week or so in the in the news about these new ideas i mean brand 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 new um coming from you know the technology to see with into the planet with imagery just isn't there but you know we can send waves down there and see how things bounce back and and we're forming different ideas there but but in terms of 
magma chambers and reservoirs in the way that they've been traditionally conceived, it's probably a lot more complex and it's little pockets here and there and things have to get mobilized and kind of this giant chain reaction of all these different things happening rather than one one thing happening and boom, the reservoir goes off. Yeah, it's and in terms of in terms of trying to understand all of that stuff in the material too, um, this is something that Matt and I talked about very briefly over email a few weeks ago because he he had sent me an email going, "What are the big mysteries in geology?" Like a few months ago, and I blinded it. And you know, I was like, "I don't know, I'm busy right now," and I didn't send anything back. And I'm like, "Then I have this article," and like, "Oh yeah, I should have sent that to Matt." This is it, you know, this whole concept about snowball Earth. Do you know about that theory? Uh-huh. So snowball Earth that there was a time where the Earth almost froze over. Yeah, or that everything was yeah completely completely iced over, and the the oceans were kind of this just slushy. And um, there's a new article that just came out in PNAS, um, Proceedings of the National Academy of the Sciences, um, in January, so just a few months ago, um, about the great unconformity. And this actually, by the way, believe it or not, comes back to your your question about eating and dinner. In that, you know, this in this concept, this great un- unconformity is the fact that, oh my gosh, like a huge chunk of geological history in the material record isn't there. Like, what happened? Like, we've got this big blank space and it's worldwide. Um, huh. So this idea that also is beginning to get traction more, even though it's controversial, that says that, you know, what happened? Earth buried like at least a fifth of its of its own self in this. And it's the way that it was phrased in this article in a monstrous meal. Oh. It was... <laughs> Um, where, mm-hmm. And that life could not form, like the first like brave single-cell life on the planet could not form until this monstrous mealtime was over because these glaciers were just chewing up all of the, the Earth's surface and then dumping it into this slushy of an ocean. So the fact that, that we're having these radical transformations in the way that we, we conceive of these processes and try to explain what we can see from the material record and what we cannot see is it's exciting because I think we're going to see some big changes in, in our own lifetimes with that. I mean, the dec- a decade is nothing. When you think of plate tectonics only being around and accepted since the early 1970s, I mean, this is, this is a brand new science. So we, we have no, we have no way of sending some kind of submersible, even just a sensor on, into the volcano. This is amazing. Like, for instance, in Antarctica, it's very difficult. And actually, with oil exploration, for instance, we, we have ways to dig extremely deeply into the yeah. earth or into the ice. But you're saying with a volcano, we can't, we have, there's nothing we can make that will survive the uh, heat. Is that it? No, there's absolutely nothing. And, and nothing that could really just get down there and then send data back. So the only thing we can do is send things like muons or, you know, radiator, tomography, you know, like send stuff mm-hmm. down and kind of see what balances back to us. Wow. So there's no ca- we can't make a cable of any kind, for instance, that would survive. How how hot is the uh, lava inside the volcano? Oh, you know, what? I, I actually don't have a number right on a wait. Oh, in a volcano, I thought you meant the inside of the earth. Right. I think in a, in a volcano, it's like like what? I mean, some some listeners gonna be like, oh my gosh, she's absolutely wrong. I I, th- I would say like what eight hundred to twelve hundred Celsius. Uh, um, that seems about right. What's the yeah. melting point of basalt? Yeah, but um, in terms of what the the temperature is inside the Earth, you know, 
we don't know. These are all kind of just ideas and theories. So yeah, there are definite numbers that are put out there and whatever gets put out there is going to get, you know, revised with the next new idea. I'm trying to find this. Okay. The unsolved mystery of the earth blobs just came out. <laughs> EOS Sounds like a B movie. This is exactly, yeah, this is exactly what, and I should have read this because I assigned this to my students to read for this Friday, but skimmed <laughs> it. No, uh, this is from uh, the AGU's amazing blog, EOS Earth and Space Science News. Researchers peering into Earth's interior found two continent-sized structures that upend our picture of the mantle. So again, they're talking about exactly what you're talking about. Like we, we can't see down there, but people keep getting these these returns from their their seismic tomography. That, that say like, hey, something hard is down there or something different is down there or something, you know, something's there with the velocity zones. Well, a- aliens, no doubt. So th- thinking about the, the, how the, the volcanoes are connected, and, and one thing that really struck me is uh, sort of revelatory is when you talked about how underneath the volcanoes is very likely a very complex system of reservoirs and tubes and who, who knows what, and, and basically bubbling things bubbling up at different levels. And it strikes me that it's sort of like like some very complicated wind sculpture or something where the volcano is only going to... Bl- so on any given day, one of these reservoirs is full and another is empty. It's all sloshing around. And it's only like... Actually, sloshing is not a bad example. So like when you're at the... You can be at the seashore and it could be a lot of waves coming along. But there's that one giant one that's going to come hit the cliff and splash very high. And that only happens every once in a while. And so that, that's what's required. So at the party, all the volcanoes who are snacking and drinking and, and chit-chatting and flirting all actually have an invisible overlord, which is the Earth. <laughs> True. Is that right? So they... they are all the vol- do we think all the volcanoes in the world are connected or is this is it more of a surface phenomena? No, 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 they are not connected and that's something that volcanologists and science communicators really push back against every single time you know there's a volcanic eruption in Indonesia and Kilauea is going off in Hawaii and people are freaking out going and I saw this thing about Yellowstone and we're all going to because all the volcanoes on the planet are going to go off at once. And no, 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 no. They're all doing some, you know, very different things. So in terms of, you know, this simplistic idea of, of there being this, you know, kind of Jules Verne core to the planet that's quite uniform and then kind of conduits going off of that to all these volcanoes with this very simplistic magma chamber to each, which would kind of, in a sense, connect them. They're kind of the new interpretation, have you seen them? This cartoon, Wallace and Gromit. Uh-huh, sure. Yeah. So kind of this, the, the setups that they have to, like, get them out of bed and then, you know, automatically have their toast go in the toaster and then they get dropped down from one floor to the next into their suspenders and pants and they're at the chair. Like, all those things have to happen before they're sitting there at that table. They, they can come to the dinner party, too. Let's have them there. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, like this massive, like, you know, strange, you know, you know, admix and conglomeration of, of, of processes and, and transformations probably that happens. So I think, yeah, I think that's actually, I'm going to publish that uh, if I get around to it in PNAS, um, the Wallace and Gromit theory. 
That would be fantastic. <laughs> so, so we're going to wrap it up. You're the host of the party, and you're going to come out at this party with all your volcano friends mm. spread out beneath you. I know exactly what I would want it to be, and it touches on something that you just brought up a minute ago, which is events of low magnitude, sorry, low frequency, high magnitude. And that's what most volcanic eruptions, unless you're at like some kind of regularly emoting uh, volcano like Kilauea, low frequency, high magnitude. And there's a quote from Michel Serre that has stuck with me from the very first time I read it. It's from his book, The Natural Contract, which is um, rare phenomena are striking, but they should not surprise us. Or we could say rare is in the time scale of the beholder. I like that. In gratitude for the putting on this amazing party, God knows what it costs, the catering costs, not to mention the cleanup costs are going to be extreme. You know, any a barroom fight at this party would really be trouble. You are going to receive a wonderful finger puppet. Oh, thank you. Of a great scientist or science fiction character from our friends at the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. <laughs> Their website is philosophersguild.com and they make smart, funny gifts for smart, funny people. They're really wonderful. So you, you're going to get one of those. Also, we have a new uh, partner along, uh, Thomas Romer, who makes these magnificent posters. You mentioned, for instance, volcanoes and other planets. What he does is he makes posters of all, all kinds of space-related things. One series he has most recently is the historic spacecraft series. And they're like beautiful sort of 1930s, 1950s style travel posters like Cassini at Saturn and, and things like that. And so you're going to receive one of these posters Thank as well. Uh, his website is Chop Shop Stop. Chop I got. I always got. Sorry, stop. Thomas. I got to look it up. But listeners, you can. You don't have to wait to get on the show. Although, as I say every week, I would love to have every one of you on the show. But you don't have to wait to get one of these wonderful gifts. You can go to philosophersguild.com, and there you can enter the coupon code WTIF, and you can have ten percent off anything in their store, not just finger puppets. And uh, Thomas Romer's site is Chop Shop Store. ChopShopStore.com and you can get 15% off there with your coupon code WTIF. Get those beautiful posters and all, all kinds of other love. He, he really has a wonderful artistic output. Beautiful store. Uh, so Karen, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Those of, Anyone who has questions about today's episode, reactions or thoughts, or what would you bring to the party? What would you wear at this party? Uh, I think I would probably wear like a Kevlar suit. (laughs) (laughs) You can email us at feedback at whattheif.com and you can find us on Twitter. There's a lot of you out there on Twitter, which is wonderful, at whattheifshow. Also on Instagram, the same name, at whattheifshow. I do ask all of you, if you could, if you have not already, go to iTunes, do us a favor, whether you use Apple stuff or not, go to iTunes and leave us a review. If you can click five stars, it takes you two seconds. That's fantastic. If you can leave a few words, that's even better. It really helps 
people find our show and learn amazing stuff from people like Karen, who we get to have on board. Is there is there something coming up you would like to plug, Karen? Do you have a... Yeah, I'll be leaving this weekend for the Volcanic Impacts on Climate and Society a workshop at Cambridge University. Um, it moves around, but it, that's where it is this year. And I will be giving a presentation with the wonderful volcanologist Frank Levine from uh, his laboratory in Paris. We got one of those Make Our Planet Great Again grants, which is an obvi- obvious um, play on you know other slogans and and. I would really like to plug that we all just do our best to to think about what the past means, uh, what the future looks like, engaging from the past and and try to make our planet great again, because it actually never stopped being great. We we kind of haven't been that great. Right. (laughs) Well said. Well said. And Matt, you have an amazing book coming up called, I think I have to say it like this, Einstein's War. Uh, yes, that would be <laughs> trailer style. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just tell us, what, what is that book about? Uh, that book is about uh, Einstein's struggles during World War I to uh, convince people that relativity was true and not starve to death. That's amazing. It's literally a life. It is actually truly a life and death story of Albert Einstein. Yeah, that's right. Both scientifically, but also... Intellectually. Intellectually, yeah. Amazing. And you can pre-order that, you said, on Amazon? That's right. Get it now, so that when it comes out, it just comes right to you. Very exciting. Next week, we have no idea what's going to happen. Although, coming up... uh, I'm not sure if it's exactly next week. Coming up, though, shortly, we do have, interestingly... Karen, you might find him interesting. uh, um, Kirby... And I'm drawing a blank on your last name. Kirby. Kirby from uh, the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab works on the New Horizons mission that went to Pluto and Ultima Thule. And he is a planetary geologist. Oh. So he studies... The cryovolcanoes. Cryovolcanoes on... Yeah, on Pluto, I believe there are some cryovolcanoes. Kirby Runyon. Kirby Runyon, yes. Yes. Indeed. Do you know him? No, I just quickly Googled. See? (laughs) That's why you're a scientist and I'm not. (laughs) Volcanologists think fast. I think that's that's a survival trait. Thank you both. Now, Karen, I don't know if you know how we end our shows, but what we do is... Music, right? There's music. There's music. There There is music, but the lead into the music is quite important. We, when Matt and I and our audience who have been doing this for a long time with us, ponder the mystery of what may be the next if that shows up in front of us. We react in shock and horror at at the awe and sublime mystery of it all. And we scream the name of the show very slowly. So join us, if you will. It goes like this. What, what the, the if? If?